This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Uh, my co-host, Naz Marchese, is not in studio with us this morning, but he's on the line and will be joining us uh, shortly. And also joining me in studio this morning, uh, former Toronto Maple Leaf uh, Lou Franceschetti. Good morning, Lou. Good morning, Wally. Morning, Naz. Wherever you are in Quebec City. Good morning, Naz. How are you guys? We're, we're good. We're, uh, it's time. Uh, it's time to do our leaf uh, dissection, post-mortem, whatever, autopsy, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, we've we had... Uh, this again, Wally. Sorry? We have to do this again. Yeah, I know. We're getting tired of it, and especially getting tired of it after, uh, you know, losing to the hated Bruins and the little pest, Marshawn. Uh, I've seen enough of him uh, for the year, for a few years. Hopefully next year we'll, we'll see a little bit different. But, uh, you know, the, everybody had, uh, all the fans got it off all off their chest this week. Uh, the media, you know, Babcock had his press conference. Dubas had his, and... Uh, all kinds of uh, reflections on what happened. It wasn't the ending to the season we would have liked. Uh, I, I think um, my take on it, uh, the way I will look at this season, the way it ended was strictly just a lost opportunity. Uh, Tampa out of the playoffs, Washington out of the playoffs. Uh, you got the Bruins down three games to two. And quite frankly, I'm not going to use the word choke. I'm not so sure they choked. Uh, but they they just coughed up the bit and uh, didn't take advantage of an opportunity. Your take, Ness? Yeah, game six was the important one. They had Boston where they wanted them, and they couldn't uh, finish them off. When you don't finish a team off, uh, game seven becomes an advantage to the home team, and especially in that case it was. The Bruins beat the Leafs, and uh, all is said, I guess. Uh, Lewis, I'm sure you... Uh... You you sometimes are less diplomatic than Naz and I are. Uh, in uh, I'm sure you're not thrilled with the result. How would you analyze what happened at the end? Well, I, th- I think you can't put it any better than what you just said. It's a lost opportunity. They're going to look back a few years from now and going to say, "Well, listen, this was our chance to to get to the finals and, and make uh, and get that uh, so-called 50-year uh, stump off our shoulders here." But it, it's just one of those things that when you have teams like Boston Bruins on the ropes. You go into their building, you take game one, you come back even, you go up two to one, you can put them behind the eight ball, make it three one, you don't do it. You make it three two and you go back and take them. And these are all games that are, they're, these games are coming back into your building and you can't put them away. Uh, what, what I really would like to know is who is calling the shots and what kind of calls are they making at MLSC right now or more or less with with Maple Leafs uh, with Toronto Maple Leafs because this really starts at the beginning of the year uh, th- this is my perspective is that um, who made who made the change between Dubas and Mark Hunter because this team would not have been like this 
as soft as it was uh, if Mark Hunter was here. Uh, who made the decision on to let Matt Martin go? Uh, here's a kid that gives his heart and soul to the Leaf. Uh, well, why, he, why, he can't play well, here. Why are we speculating on who made the decision? Well, we know who made the decision. No, no, we, no we don't. Well, we, who, we really don't. There's only two possible people who made that decision. I, I, oh, you're suggesting Babcock was part of that decision? I, I, I think Martin it was go? Babcock. And then I'm also, you, you got to look at uh, Brendan You think Shanahan. Babcock wanted Matt Martin off the team? I really yeah, don't. I, I really that think too, that. I really, hold on, hold on. Naz, I, go ahead. I heard that too. Matt Martin was, uh, it was Babcock. Why? Not not Dubas. Why? What's the theory? I'm not sure why. Just he, he doesn't bring enough skill to the table. Is that is Babcock like skill players? Doesn't like physical players? Uh, you guys, respond. Well, no, it, it, you, you just said it. Physical either, right? You just said it right there. Uh, I just didn't think that Matt Martin fitted into the philosophy that that Mike Babcock brought to this hockey team. He he never had one in Detroit. Uh, I guess when Lamarillo signed him or whoever signed him to that four or five year deal. Uh, it was a it was a missing commodity that they they didn't have, and it's just a situation where I know Shanahan ruled he probably made the decision on well I'm going to keep Dubas because he's the analytical guy and Mark Hunter uh, is the is the brawn guy, uh, but I I really think that somebody decided that Matt Martin was no good on this hockey team, and we'd rather go with skill on that fourth line. And now I look at Matt Martin, who's playing 15 minutes a game, playing in the last minute uh, of a game in the, the playoff Islanders. game with with the New York Islanders, and you're telling me that he wouldn't have made a difference uh, in the Boston series, let alone Nazem Kadri, if he had well, if he gotten had a, yeah, if he yeah. hadn't gotten all his tools in the right toolbox, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. So you know, I, I it's I think right, why are we right, all you know. Uh, right from the top, right down yeah. to the bottom, uh, I think everybody has to shoulder the problems here. And well, uh, it, it, let, let's let's talk about that. Everybody has to shoulder the problems. Um, a lot of the players went out and said, you know, we, you know, we could have done better. Kyle Dubas went out and said, you know, we have to evaluate everybody in the organization, and I take responsibility. The only guy who didn't take responsibility, you know, you know who we're talking about. Yeah. You're, you're right. The coach. You're right. Yeah, but the coach has never done that, Wally. Right? Uh, you but mean, the, the, hey. our, hold on, hold on, Naz. This particular are... coach or coaches in general? No, no, I'm talking about uh, Babcock. No, it's not. No, no I, I don't think it's within his, <laughs> I don't exactly. think it's within his constitution to uh, to blame himself. Uh, although, uh, you know, I mean, you know, the point was made, and 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 I want to have the discussion about him because I think he can be fairly criticized. Uh, I mean, I get the part part where you know he doesn't want to go out and say it's on me. I should have done this. I should have done that. Uh, you know, I I my guess is, for, you know, he, he tends to be a bit condescending at times. Uh, doesn't handle criticism or perceived criticism when he gets it from from the media. Um, you know, I, you know, he's, you know, he thinks himself the smartest guy in the room, and he probably is. Okay, fine, great, fantastic. Uh, you're the smartest hockey man in Toronto. You're the smartest hockey man in Canada. You're the smartest hockey man in the world. <clears throat> Obviously, I'm exaggerating to make my point, but Mike Babcock thinks very highly of, of, of his hockey knowledge, and quite frankly, <laughs> doesn't like questions from the media that, uh, Although may not be directly uh, critical, there's imp- 
implicit criticism in some of the in, in some of the questions, and he, he just you know he he doesn't like to go there. Um, and you know he's he was criticized in a lot of quarters for a lot of decisions he made during these playoffs. And I think reasonable people can have a reasonable debate about some of his decisions. And let's talk about them. Uh, ice time for his star players. Uh, he's getting he was getting an inordinate amount of criticism from the fans and some uh, less re- uh, a little bit more restrained criticism from the media that he just doesn't play Matthews and Marner and Tavares and you know especially in the third period of game 7 you know you know you, you thought you'd see Matthews out there on every shift and uh, uh you know and Marlowe's out there you know what for the last 6 minutes of the game you know yeah, I think that's a fair criticism Babcock with Detroit he did that with Datsuk and Sederberg also they didn't get as much ice time as they should have. Yeah, they also had a guy like Lidstrom on, uh, on Lidstrom, defense. Lidstrom played a lot, but not up front. Yeah, but here, yeah, but Lou, I, I just I want to take this point, and then I want you to address it, Lou. Great, it worked in Detroit. It worked in Detroit. Thank you, uh, Pavel Datsuk, Zetterberg. You know, didn't play. You know, seventy minutes a game. Uh, but doesn't a coach have to adapt to his circumstances? And the sense I get from the sense I get from Mike Babcock, you know, I, I'm, you know, he's he's obviously a brilliant hockey man. Let's 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 be reasonable, uh, but he's not, you know, he's not imperfect. He's not perfect, and I just got the sense that Cassidy was adjusting to circumstances a little bit better than Babcock was. Lou, your uh, your analysis. Well, you got to remember what, who he had in Detroit also. Okay, and then you. But, gotta, but what does it matter? No, what on. does it matter who it, he had in Detroit? It, it He's in Toronto now. You're right. It doesn't. But then you look at how many chances he blew in Detroit. He had the Chicago Blackhawks three one, and yeah. they they lost the last three games. They had a chance to put Pittsburgh away in the finals on the back to back. He didn't do it. So here's a question: Can this guy, how, if, as good as he is, and let's not talk about. The, the gold medal teams and all that and the Olympics and all that because he's got the top players in the world. Can he, and the top coach, assistant coaches in the yes, world too. Right. Okay. Can he adjust and can he coach in a game seven? And when the pressure is really on the players or him, or, or does he more or less come down well, back down to earth? If, if, ba- because if, if Mike Babcock was listening to the show, which I'm sure he's not, but if he was, he'd think we were a bunch of idiots. Well, and, you're right. And he's, the, and he's the only, and he's the brightest light in the, in the room, right? Yeah. And he did say that he did make minor adjustments. I didn't see the minor adjustments up until Game Seven when he just flip flopped Marner and and Matthews, and then all of a sudden now you're giving Goche seven or eight minutes, you're giving Marlow thirteen or fourteen minutes. I don't see on why he doesn't load up on the two lines. Throw one third line out there every third or fourth shift, but just keep riding the horses when you're down three one and about fifteen minutes to go. We know that two little goal leads it's the worst lead in hockey, and all you need is one shot. But it's it's something that listen was this team good enough? I think it really was good. It, was it had it, enough you know, talent. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't. I just don't think they were ready to win. Why? Uh whether it was a lack of experience, whether some of the guys didn't know what it takes to um, to go that extra mile. Uh, again, they had a chance to bear them in Game 6. They didn't come out like they should. Well, they came out well for the first eight minutes of the game. Yeah, and then what happened in the last 13? They, they, they went to sleep for a period and a half. Yeah, when they were outshot 12 to nothing. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And you're at home. 
You're not on the road. You're not in Boston where the fans beh- aren't behind you. You're at home. And they were loud. Who was loud? The Leafs fans. The that, fans that, that day on Sunday. Well, they yeah, were I know, loud. but they're down. They don't get a shot from 12 minutes. Yeah. You know, that's where somebody, and maybe a Matt Martin or somebody of that nature, it doesn't have to be a Matt Martin, uh, goes out there and, and creates a little bit of havoc just to get Boston backpedaling a little bit. We know that they got Char, we know where they got Marshawn, but who's Marshawn really going to scare? He's a pest because you let him get under your skin. I mean, the alternative, the, yeah. the you know, the, the devil's advocate position is Babcock got more out of these guys than maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know, the defense, the defense, I mean, let's be fair, is, you know, uh, it played it played better in this series than I thought they were going to play, to be quite frank. But, you know, they probably weren't good enough. Uh, well, if they weren't good enough now, they're in trouble next year. Because well, that that I get. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, it looks like Gardner, and you know, Gardner's not going to be there. And you can criticize him to the nth degree, but they didn't have any replacement for him, and the guy was playing. You know, it was almost unfair to see him out there because he was playing a game that he's not used to playing because he was hurt. You never and saw him. he played se- he played seven games without rushing the puck, and that you know, you know, Gardner's game is rushing the puck. But and, what, how do you how do you go out and say that? He's better than what we have at 60%. He is. He was. Because Babcock said that. Okay, exactly. Babcock so, said so why that. doesn't Dubas go out and address that? Well, that was, it was game over. Well, you, can't, you can't address it in the middle of the playoffs. Okay, so you but, can't address but, it after the trading deadline. Well, that's what I'm saying. But he, he did address it with Muzzin. But well, if he knows... You know, if, just if, think if you didn't have Muzzin. Well, if, exactly. if you didn't have... If you didn't hadn't made that move so you're for telling Muzzin. Me that well, Rosen, which, not, hey, Rosen at 100% is not better than Gardner at well, that's 60 a scary, or 70? That's a scary thought. Right. Well, you're, you're he, he, right it is. According to Mike Babcock, he wasn't. Yeah. Otherwise, Rosen should have been in that lineup. Because, in other words, there are two young defensemen, uh, Rasmus and... Uh, uh, and the other first round pick are their next two players that are coming up next year, unless they address it this one. This, well, uh, we, we, this we, spring. Well, that, the, the interesting part about the Leaf discussion is who's going to be back next year. Well, uh, you know, we're talking about Hainsey, we're talking about Gardner, we're talking about Marlowe, we're talking about Connor Brown, we're talking about Zaitsev. Yeah, who, you, you, who else you know, are we talking about, talking about here? Too, is the disconnect between Babcock and uh, Dubas. Well, there is a disconnect. Okay, there. then Naz, Naz, you're you're always ahead of the curve on these things. And this is a discussion that's been going on all week long. Uh, and uh, is Mike Babcock back next year? Yes. I think he has more power than Dubas. Wow. Because of his contract. His contract? Well, is, is he, and, and why, why, is it, why do you think he's got power because of his contract? He's, that, he his contract four years left on his Yeah, but it was, front, it was front end loaded. Um, a lot of that money's already been paid. It's, he's been paid more than, than, than the average split over the you years of his contract. It, it, it's all irrelevant because Babcock was brought in before Dubas. Correct. Correct? Yes. So Babcock, when he signed the deal, he wanted more power. That's why I brought up the Matt Martin thing. Because I bet you uh, that he didn't, not that he didn't like Matt Martin. He just didn't think that Mar- Matt Martin would have been a, a good fit for this hockey team in his eyes where Dubas probably said, yeah, well, it's more or less. Let, 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 let me throw this. Um, let me throw this analysis out at you guys. Um, uh, maybe we're just panicking a little bit too much. It takes time to move from uh, a deadbeat in the NHL to, to a cup contender. And, you know, you look at the Washington Capitol example, um, and there are probably other examples. It's, it's difficult to go from being a, you know, a, a perennial loser 
to a team that challenges for the Stanley Cup. And this is just, you know, we, you know, this is just part of the process. And you know what, you know, and you gotta, you gotta work through it. And if you start blowing things up, you, you may, you know, what, what you get in return may be worse than what you already have. Why not, why not, why not work with this group? And and see if you can work through this, just like the Washington Capitals did. It, Walter, every year that you go through this, you're giving an. And more, for, for that matter, the you're, Pittsburgh you're, Penguins needed needed time. I understand that, but Pittsburgh had four first round picks in the first top, okay. in the top three. Yeah. You you're giving every team another kick at the can every year. This goes on. You look at Carolina. You're telling me that the Leafs aren't better than Carolina. You look at the Montreal. Hey, look, Carolina world. looks pretty good out yeah, there. Yeah, they do. And so does they? Columbus. Yeah, okay. and obviously, where, the, where were the Islanders last year compared Nowhere. to this year? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good coaching. They brought in a system. Guys, we're not going to win games scoring five goals a game, but we will get win games if we only let one or two and maybe 20 or 30 shots uh, a night in. And now, you know, everybody's panicking. We're all getting all everything off our shoulders here. Everybody's complaining about Frederick Anderson. They wouldn't have been game seven without no, Frederick Anderson. No, no chance. And now, no now they're just questioning can Frederick But he didn't Anderson, win that game for them. Now they're questioning whether Frederick Anderson can play in any game seven because he hasn't played very well in the last three game sevens. There's a lot of guys who didn't play well in game seven. Anderson's the least of their worries. They should just uh, get off of that band. Yeah, I know, but he, he's the last. Uh, He's the last line of command here. You know, the play, the yeah. forwards can screw up because they got the defenseman to back them up. The defenseman can screw up because they always got a goalie. If Anderson screws up, there's nobody, you know, backing him up. I look at the game last night with Bobrovsky and, uh, and Tika Rask. And <laughs> that was unbelievable. That, it's the, the saves that they made, uh, Tuka Rask on Felino, uh, and, and Bobrovsky on, on Bergeron and, and Pasternak. That's what, that's what it takes. To uh, to win a championship, mind you, it's only game two. Let's see if they can do that in game seven. But still, you you need a goalie that's going to stop everything. Yeah, but you look at Bobrovsky's playoff record; not very good up until this year, right? So <laughs> he he's he's going through the same thing as Anderson in the playoffs. And now, how about that puck that was dumped in from uh, from the other end? If it would have taken, if he would have been out one more inch, it would have gone by him in the overtime. Guys, oh let let me let me throw this theory out at you. Um, the Leafs can't possibly be successful, and it, I'm surprised they actually made it to Game Seven with the st- with the, with the statistics they had for penalty kills and power plays. You just can't win when when you when you when your efficiency rating on your PK is what it was and what it was on their power play. It's just it's it's actually surprising they made it to Game Seven. Did you hear? I, I got with the, the talent with the talent that's on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I got to think that's a coaching issue. So if Babcock's not going to take the fall for that, how about the assistant coaches? Well, Hillers is right hand so, somebody, man. Somebody, somebody's okay. Go ahead. Hillers is Babcock's right hand man. Unless Dubas says, "Listen, I want him out of there," he's not going anywhere. Uh, I think DJ Smith is in line for some head coaching jobs. Uh, one, I think, specifically is is Ottawa. Uh, so I'm not sure what they're going to do with there. And again, they have no coaching experience. Uh, in the National Hockey League or at the pro level, so I, I could see them. I can see Sheldon Keith moving on to a head coaching job somewhere else and moving probably DJ Smith uh, to the head coach of the Marlies to give him uh, a taste of, of coaching in the uh, in the organization. 
Interesting Here's theory. something I heard during the week. Sheldon Keith being an assistant coach under Babcock. I, I can't see what that working. What do you working. think of that? I can't see that working. You know, the, you know, uh, you know um, that just, it's like, it's like the guy who's taking your job, you got to look at him like uh, at the end of your bench every single game. I, I just, I, I don't, I just can't see, I can't see that working. It was like it was like when Pat Quinn was the coach of the Toronto. They relieved Pat Quinn of of his uh, role as the coach, and they put uh, John Ferguson Jr. in as general manager. I never. I said, "How the hell does that make any sense?" You know, you got a, you got a living legend here that's being that's he's now got to report to somebody who's his uh, you know basically not not in a personal his hockey inferior uh, Babcock. With Sheldon Keefe at the end of his bench, uh, he'd have to make a huge concession. Dubas might like that. I can't see Babcock being thrilled about that, Lou. Well, D- Dubas is yeah. uh, is in Sheldon Keefe's corner. Oh, absolutely. Because he brought him in from, uh, from I, I think I think the issue is not whether Sheldon Keefe's going to be at the yeah. end of the bench, whether he's going to be behind the bench as the number one guy. Uh, well, I went through this in in. 90-91 when I was here, we came off a pretty good year in Toronto. We didn't have that great a team uh, defensively, but we had a great uh, team offensively. Uh, and Floyd Smith got rid of uh, Gary LaRiviere and brought in Tom Watt. And I knew right at that moment that if any, if we got off to a bad start or anything happened, Dougie Carpenter was gone. The heir apparent's yeah, right the, there. The heir apparent, <laughs> right with, there. with all his experience, there's no way that Tom Watt that's, was going to come gonna in. That's not going to work. It's not a workable right. relationship. And, no, it, it really isn't. Uh, and an unfortunate, uh, I can see Sheldon Keefe moving on to another organization yeah. and then moving DJ down to uh, to coach the Marlies. And then Babcock's going to have to look for somebody else to... Uh, to uh, to be the be assistant coach. Look look at Rick Bonus, what he's doing in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he oh, came over. Tampa I, fired him. He moved over to Dallas. Now they got the best penalty killing in, in yeah, the playoffs. I, I, I wouldn't be. I, I, I think the odds are that Babcock's back next year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not. I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, surprised if the right guy came apart. Not. If t- if Joel Cornville was still out there, yeah. this discussion would be yeah. going on all along. Uh, and this team might need. It might need a breath of uh, a new leadership, you know. It's like you know, Ken Hitchcock's always been successful, but all these coaches, they uh, their shelf life expires at a certain point in time. I'm not sure Babcock's at that point yet. Uh, they may they may roll the dice and give him another year, and then see what happens. Well, we have to see also what kind of rift there is between uh, Babcock and uh, Matthews. Because I don't know if Matthews can take three, year, three years in a row of, of, <laughs> of what just went. Through. I don't. I don't think we're ever going to know. These. This is all speculation. I don't think we'll ever know what the what the exact relationship is between Babcock and Dubas and Babcock and Matthews. We can speculate, and uh, only time will tell. Naz, we got to. We're going to let you go. We got to go to break. We've uh, gone a little bit over our time. Uh, wish you safe travels, and uh, to our listeners, we'll be right back with Eddie Andelman. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we received this letter. My marriage is in a rut. Can you help us spice things up? Yes. Get the gourmet special. Two medium gourmet pizzas for just $24.99. He loves Canadian bacon, so he'll order a deluxe. She can order the Italian because she loves the hot Italian sausage. Everyone's happy. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. 
The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them every day. They've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Oh, um, uh, Sebastian, I thought you were going to play a little clip there. Uh, anyways, we're welcome to, we're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, the Godfather of Sports Radio, Eddie Andelman from Boston. How are you, Eddie? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, we're uh, we are uh, in mourning, obviously, because of the uh, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs lo- losing to the hated Bruins. But there's a special gentleman we want to talk about that we're in mourning all- as well, uh, Eddie uh, John Havlicek, one of the greats, one of the great, uh, one of the greats of the game, brings back so many memories of an era in NBA basketball. Brings back so many great memories of those fantastic Celtics teams uh, from the 60s and the 70s. Uh, you were privileged to see and talk to him firsthand. Eddie, uh, please share with our listeners your thoughts on the great John Havlicek, who just passed away a few days ago. Well, first of all, um, you know, when you think of John Havlicek, uh, he was part of that great Ohio State basketball team. He was not only the um, fifth choice in the NBA of that team. Can you believe that? <laughs> and Auerbeck was sitting back hoping that they'd be able to, to land him. He saw some flaws in John's game, particularly dribbling, uh, but he knew he could cure that. And uh, he didn't know whether John, John was going to play pro football uh, or pro basketball. You know, he tried out with the Cleveland Browns, and he was the last cut as a um, – wide receiver. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but, uh, you know, John, when he first got drafted and examined uh, to become a Celtic, he had the lowest heartbeat of any, um, and Boston is pretty famous for their hospitals, but they called in several doctors to find out how uh, how this man could function, and he never seemed to get tired, never seemed to get winded, and John could play 48 minutes and then play a couple of overtimes and not even get winded. Uh, his only flaw was dribbling, as I mentioned. And John did not come to the Celtics for several years as a startup. He came as the famous sixth man. 
and made the league as the sixth man. I mean, he was really the first big six-man player that there was. And then he became a starter as he matured as a player. He became a great scorer. Still holds the all-time Celtic scoring record with over 25,000 points. And people asked John why he wanted to retire. And he said, look, I feel at the age of 37, it's a little silly me running around in my underwear in front of people. But um, the story I'd like to tell you about John, uh, it's a couple of stories that you might like. Um, I did a lot of work for cystic fibrosis fundraising and used my show um, to help stop out this terrible disease. <clears throat> and I had a thought one time, the two classiest guys in Boston sports were Ray Bork of the Boston Bruins and John Havlicek of the Celtics. So I called John, who I know very well, and I said, I have this idea of having a luncheon called A Touch of Class with you and uh, and Ray Bork. And I've got a, uh, a restaurant who will uh, serve the dinner for 100 people. And we decided to, to put it on the year and they call it a touch of class. Uh, John, believe it or not, they played in the same building for, you know, 12, 13 years. They did not know each other. They had never met each other, which was really strange. John kept to himself as Ray Bork did. Anyway, they met, and there was an immediate friendship there. Um, and uh, I'll never forget that dinner because they were such classy guys. And they drove themselves, uh, uh, you know, to the spot. Uh, they gave, uh, well, at least Ray did, gave some extra tips to the service. And as you know, I'm sure it'll come out eventually. John was, um, John banked all his paychecks. <laughs> he tried to live off what, uh, of, of what, you know, he earned extra by attending functions and signing autographs and all that business. Um, but uh, the two of them became really good buds and helped each other with many charitable uh um, endeavors. Um, the fans love John Halicek. Boston likes tough, hard-nosed players. Something Toronto's got to learn how to do. <laughs> at least the hockey team. Uh, and, be and nice, Eddie. Be that, nice. Well, I am. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, as you know, you follow my tweets. I do. Um, I, I, I predicted uh, Toronto to win in seven games. I know you did. I was, I, I was really surprised that the Bruins beat them. Anyways, I, I, want, we, I do want to talk to you about the Leafs and the Bruins. And I, I want to last uh, last uh, remembrance of John Havlicek, of course, uh, is the famous. Uh, and you know, it, it, you know, just thinking it when, when I saw the reports on John this week, it just made me pause and think. And we we're losing so many of the icons of of our youth. Uh, and it brought back so many incredibly great memories of, of great times in basketball uh, that I remember as, as as a young kid. And I wasn't a – I'll be honest, Eddie, I wasn't a Celtics fan. I was a Lakers fan. I was Jerry West and Elgin Baylor before Kareem got there. Uh, and they could never get past <laughs> – they couldn't get past the Celtics. Wilt couldn't get past the Celtics. Uh, and then there's the infamous, the greatest – radio call in the history of basketball <laughs> one of the greatest calls in the history of sports and whose name is at the beginning of that call john havlicek havlicek stole the ball that call it lives in infamy it's jo it's the great johnny most 
Uh, we're going to play it as soon as uh, – for our listeners, we're going to play it after we uh, hang up with you, uh, Eddie. Uh, your your recollections of that game and that famous call. Well, it looked almost hopeless. Um, and uh, Johnny Most, who I knew very well, too, um, had the most shrill call and voices people will hear. But he almost fell out of the booth. It was uh, up very high. He used to be on the second deck when he called the game. But I thought he was going to go right over the balcony. Uh, and, of course, John made so many key plays. Uh, you know, all the stats show how great he was on offense. But people forget, ask any NBA player, they hated playing against John Havlicek because he was such a great defensive genius. He was in motion all the time. Never loafed, always ran, 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 run, 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 run. And I'll tell you, he was uh, the kindest, most gentle, nice person you'd ever want to meet. You wouldn't think that he was a superstar. He just was a very humble guy. And um, I can think of so many games that John, you know, would go into the fourth quarter and have maybe 13 points, but he'd end up with 25 and all of the key shots. Um he he was that Celtic team, in my opinion, his first two years were there, would be any NBA team today, um, because they wanted to win all the time. Uh they didn't care what the score was. They just they were born to win. And uh that's carried on later on with players like Dave Collins, who, you know, would dive all over the floor. Uh I I'm very sad that the Halbert I personally I'll tell you a little story. Um, I moved, uh, uh, when I had my third kid, I moved to the North Shore, a place called Linfield. And all the hockey players lived there. It's north of Boston. So they thought it was closer to Canada. So they all moved out to Linfield. Anyway, John, uh, unbeknownst to me, had bid on a house. And, uh, you know, as most real estate people say, uh, you know, hurry up, we have a bid, you know, You'd have to top it by 2000 What's the bid? And I I said, well, I'll, yeah, I'll buy it. Uh, because what's on a mortgage? What, what is over 20 years? What the hell's $2,000? And it turns out the bidder was John Havlicek. <laughs> <laughs> and I kidded him about it later on, but he, he found a much better house. Uh, and he moved to a, a suburban western uh, Massachusetts. We're, we're, but, um, but the thing I liked about John... Um, was his determination, his grit. You know, you look at his face. You know, when he comes in the building, he's shaking hands and he's smiling. Then he puts on a game face that uh, some of the great NBA players um, just didn't want to play against Havlicek. I remember Hal Greer one time, um, I had him on the radio, and he said he hated coming to Boston, although he had one of his best games. He once He set a record. He made 22 straight shots. He said, but those were outside shots with hammer chicken in my face. <laughs> but uh, you're right about one thing. Uh, every athlete should try and become a John Havlicek on and off the court. Uh, all class, all desire, all winning. I just kind of, uh, it, it struck me while in that. Um, you know, like when you lose a family friend. Uh, even though you might be close, you find out a cousin passed on. But I, I felt the same as uh, Wally. It just felt like I lost 
somebody close to me, even though I wasn't that close to him. We're talking to the great, uh, the great Eddie Andelman, uh, the godfather of sports radio, iconic host of the former iconic host of the sports huddle. Eddie, uh, that's a fitting tribute you've just made to John Havlicek. And on that note, we'd like to move to a clock. Uh, we've got a few minutes left with you, a topic closer to home. Uh, what, uh, from a Boston perspective, what do the Leafs have to do to beat the Bruins next year? I, I, you know, I think the Leafs have more talent than the Bruins, but I don't know about their grit. Um, I, I think like the Bruins psyched them. I mean, I didn't watch any of the games, but I read the reports. And I have to tell you, the Leafs, um, I, I think to win, and I hope that they win because I'm not much of a hockey fan. But I have to tell you, I'm so impressed with the fans in Toronto and and how they sell out, how they pay record prices, <laughs> and how they follow that team. I mean, there was a ton of, uh, uh, they tell me there was a ton of Maple Leaf fans that went to a couple of the games down at the Garden. But they, <laughs> I think they were smart. They stayed in their seats. Uh, Boston's hockey crowd is a rough crowd. It's not like Toronto or Montreal uh, where they dress up and everything. It's a, uh, it's really a very tough crowd, an angry crowd, a beer guzzling crowd. Um, you know, I, I've often said this to, about the Bruins. If they announced that there would be no beer for sales at the <laughs> seventh game of the Stanley Cup, there would be 12 people there. Uh, Lou, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Eddie, I just, uh, I've got in studio with me this morning is subbing in for Naz, Lou Franceschetti, former Washington Capitol and, and uh, Toronto Maple Leaf. He wants to get a question in. You sure. know what? You, you've just hit the nail on the head on that beer guzzling. Uh, I love Boston fans because they, they come to the rink with their lunch pails. And then Toronto fans, more or less, they come with their suit and tie and they don't want to get any catch up on their, on their ties or, or shirt. But anyway, maybe Eddie, a martini, but yeah, maybe a martini. Uh, <laughs> I just listened. To, I don't think I've talked to you since congratulating uh, you on, on the Boston Red Sox from last year, but uh, what's wrong with them this year? Well, I, you know, you can only test the manager, in my opinion. Uh, he won, he got all kinds of accolades last year. But a true test of a manager is somebody um, who can inspire the team to go on and and have several over the next decade. And I think this manager is a really nice person. But you can't be all the players' pals, as you well know, being a professional. Uh, you can't be their best bud. And I really think what's happened is that uh, he plays nicey-nicey with these guys. Oh, come on, you're going to get some hits. And, and I don't think he could be that way. And I think that right now they're very lackadaisical um, about their approach. Uh, I didn't go to spring training this year, so I don't know how tough it was. But I know in past years when I've been there, <clears throat> it's been like a party, like cookouts and horseback riding and golf. And I'm afraid that... Uh, that's what might have happened this year because they have um, loads of talent, but they also don't understand where baseball is, is turning. Uh, if you have a starter uh, who can go six innings, uh, you have a, a great asset. Uh, but the bullpen has become as important as the starters for the first time in the history of baseball. And I don't think the Red Sox have grasped that yet. Um but I think it's a long season, but um, I sort of hope Tampa Bay does well because uh, if you were going to measure organizations, 
Tampa Bay spends a hundred million less than the Red Sox or the Yankees or many teams in baseball. Um, but the manager Knox has has realized that you got to do new things, like he's starting relief pitches, you know, to get ahead in the first couple of innings. He's doing all sorts of things, and uh, baseball has long been uh, a traditional game. Um, you know that uh, this is what you do, and this is how it's played. And the uh, I think the talent uh, level in baseball. Uh, it's not as good as it should be. I think a lot of the great athletes we just saw a first round draft pick uh, pass up baseball and go to um, a career in pro football. Well, if I was that boy's parents, I'd lock him in his room. <laughs> How can you pass up football, uh, baseball, in a long career uh, with much less chance of injury uh, than to play pro football? I mean, this guy could end up with a concussion. He could end up crippled. He could end up, I think, in the whole history of baseball, only one player ever got killed. Um, so It's called $35 million up front. Uh, Eddie, uh, we only got 30 seconds left with you, and uh, we didn't get you on this year on WrestleMania Sunday. Uh, I apologize for that. <laughs> but I know you've been treating. I know I know you want to get this off your chest and share it with all, our, all your Canadian fans up here Uh 30 seconds, uh, you think there's been a grave injustice committed to Samoa Joe. What happened? Well, uh, Samoa Joe is, uh, to me, the worst conditioned athlete in the world. I've challenged him and John Cena together. I mean, I would wipe them out in a matter of seconds with my gutcha hold. But Samoa Joe is um, not from Samoa. Uh, He's from Chelsea, Massachusetts. And he's uh, been training to get in the Nathan's hot dog eating contest now for three years. He's only up to 40 hot dogs, so he's still a long way away. But um, I would say that WrestleMania uh, is the premier event now in the whole world, never mind the country. Um, so I can't wait for it to happen. Anyways, Eddie, we've got we've to let, let you go there. And uh, to our to our producer Sebastian, if you can tee up that uh, John Havlicek clip, uh, let's play that and we'll go to break. Eddie, always a pleasure. I hope to catch up with you soon. Take care, Wally. Thank you so much, Eddie Andelman. Five seconds left. Boston only has a one-point lead. Greer is putting the ball on a play. He gets it out deep and Havlicek It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I realised that, unlike pizza, you can enjoy Pizzaville's authentic panzerotti with just one hand. Pizzaville and its entities, owned in whole or in part, have no interest in knowing what you do with your other hand while you're consuming one of our panzerotti. Seriously. Get two authentic Italian panzerotti with cheese and sauce for just ten forty nine. One for each hand. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. 
If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village on the new AM740. If you're listening in Toronto, 96.7 FM, live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Raptors analyst, Leo Routens. Good morning, Leo. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys this morning? We're doing great, Leo. Sorry uh, we got you a little bit late this morning. We're just doing a John Havlicek tribute uh, with a good friend from Boston. And uh, Havlicek certainly evokes great memories of uh, some great basketball in the 60s and 70s. And um, certainly uh, your recollections of John, uh, Leo, remember, remember him playing at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, just, uh, you know, so sad to hear him. Uh, you know, a hear of his passing. I know that uh, Raptors Wayne Embry, uh, you know, very close to him and, you know, talked a great deal about uh, John Havlicek. So I knew that, uh, you know, he had not been well, you know, in the last few weeks, last month. So, uh, you know, just sad that the time finally came. But, you know, Hondo as a player was just amazing. You know, you look at his ability to it just has never stopped. I mean, that, that that's the incredible part. If you look at his numbers, he's, you know, the years he played, the minutes he played, uh, literally playing every minute of every game, <laughs> you know, in the playoffs and in the regular season, the guy was unbelievable. So uh, you know, it's it's uh, you don't see that today, uh, and I don't. We're never going to see it again, I don't think. And uh, you know, just maybe more important than that, what you hear from everybody is just the quality of person uh, that he was—a uh, winner on and off the floor. That's for sure. Uh, we're talking Leo Routens. Leo, talking about great performances. We have one to talk about this morning. Uh, the Raptors, uh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, uh, surreal, 45 points, um, you know, second highest point total in Raptors playoff history, second only to Vince's 50 or 51, I believe. The Raptors uh, got off to a shaky start against the Magic, but they've come on like gangbusters the last five games. They have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Leo, I want your analysis, uh, they've elevated their game to a level that I've never seen a Raptors team ever play before. Um, your thoughts? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, this is the best Raptors team I've ever seen. And, 
you know, they the the whole key is that they 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 do it at both ends. Uh, this is a tremendous offensive team uh, that has firepower, can come at you in a lot of different ways. They share the ball, they move the ball, uh, they play the they play the game the right way. And then defensively, I mean, just think about this: you have two former defensive player of the year players on that team. You have two former NBA all-defensive team players on that team. You have a guy that led the NBA in taking charges last year. Uh, you just go down the list, and, and you can't name another team. And I don't, I don't remember the last time I saw another team that has those kind of credentials defensively. Um, and if you look at what they're capable of doing and what we've seen since that game one against Orlando, I mean, their opponents have been – uh, held under you know ninety points the last five games and and uh, uh, under forty percent shooting that's just crazy in the playoffs so uh, this is a team that uh, is fun to watch it's a special group and uh, uh, they've still got a long way to go it's uh, and I think it could be it could be a long long fun run. Leo, how's how's Marcus all fit into this? Uh, into this. By the team? way, it's just Lou Franceschetti. I should have introduced him to you, Leo. We got Lou no in worries. studio this morning. Uh, how's Marcus all uh, fit into this uh, team since he's come over? It seems like they've, they've been playing a lot more decent uh, defensively, and he, a lot of players have taken the accountability to to working as hard as he has on the defensive side. Well, he's he's a guy that uh, it's all about the team, right? And uh, you know, defensively, he's. You know, 2013 defensive player of the year, and he's looking every bit like that. Um, you know, he just he's 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 brilliant, and I say that his basketball IQ, uh, much like a lot of these other guys, is off the charts. He sees the game, he feels the game, he understands the nuances. Uh, so he's raised the level of play defensively for this team, uh, and at the same time, you know, from the day he got here, the Raptors went uh, from middle of the pack to number one in the NBA in three point percentage. Uh, from his arrival. So it just tells you, you know, the, the movement that the Raptors have now, the ball in his hands is crazy. The shots that they're getting are tremendous. Uh, so he's really made a, an enormous impact for this team uh, on both sides of the ball. And it was a big time acquisition by Masai Ujiri. Uh, this whole uh, Marcus All Embiid uh, matchup um, so far um, has tipped in, in Gasol's. Uh, uh, gone his way after one game, obviously, uh, and that's one of the critical matchups in this series. Uh, the ability of the Raptors to control the, you know, the the Sixer center. Um, in analyzing what Gasol does, or analyzing what he did last night, from a bat from a technical basketball point of view, what does Gasol do uh, that he's so effective against one of the NBA's best players? Well, he's big and strong, number one. So, you know, Embiid likes to bully uh, opponents. He likes to take advantage and, and, and literally, you know, bully them down low in the post. And with Gasol, you just can't do that. Uh, the second thing is Embiid is a very athletic big man. Um, he can put the ball on the floor. He can step outside and shoot. Uh, and he really tries to bait defenders in the, into his face. So if you gamble, if you jump, leave your feet, he's going to capitalize on you and, and hurt you. Uh, and Gasol does none of that. You know, he stays, he stays down. He moves his feet extremely well. Uh, he gets up and contests shots without leaving his feet. Um, you know, he's a player that uh, knows everything that you want to do, and he's going to take things away from you. Uh, so he's a step ahead all the time. And if you look at his numbers, 
I mean, Embiid came into the series averaging 25 points, 14 rebounds. That's what he did against the Nets. Uh, and the Sixers averaged 122 points a game. You know, last night, you know, they, they score around 90, uh, and he's got 16 points on 5 of 18 shooting and only 8 rebounds. So Gasol is definitely a major factor uh, in controlling the Sixers and Embiid. And this should not be a surprise to anybody. I mean, if you look at the two matchups uh, he, when he was with the Memphis Grizzlies against Embiid this year, uh, numbers are similar. Embiid shot about 28%, which is what he shot, shot last night, and his average is well below what he averages against everybody else. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Embiid's numbers against Memphis when Gazal was there uh, is his w- lowest average against any team in the NBA. So uh, Gasol just picking up right from there. And uh, and look what he did against uh, Nikola Vucevic in the first round. I mean, Vucevic is a all-star center in the NBA, and he took uh, he took his game completely away. So this is a critical matchup for the Raptors, and uh, if it can continue in this way, it's going to go you know bode well for the series. Well, let's talk about uh, um, you know watching a game last night um, when you know making the comment the Raptors have elevated their game to a to a different level that I've never seen before. Well, let, let's talk about the two cornerstones of that: uh, Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam. Um, uh, what a dynamic duel, uh, and they've got to create matchup he- uh, nightmares for the other opposing coaches. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, how do you stop two two players of this quality? Um, Kawhi and Pascal um, comment on on how they, uh, especially Kawhi. Um, um, he just he just controls the the floor at both ends, and then he's got Siakam. You know, if you want to concentrate on Kawhi, you've got Siakam. Uh, I wouldn't even call him backup. It's almost like, okay, one A. I don't know if it's one A, one B, but you know, we're you know, and I don't want to use the Jordan Pippen example because we're getting ahead of ourselves. But how do they feed off each other? Well, you know, first of all, you know, Kawhi. When we're seeing what everybody talked about, you know, playoff Kawhi, and you got to give the the Raptors uh, a tremendous amount of credit, uh, a tremendous amount of credit for uh, taking care of his body and, you know, all the load management that a lot of people were critical of. Uh, certainly and now you can see the, the results and the reasons why uh, they did what they did. But, you know, Kawhi is definitely elevating his game. He's playing, you know, more minutes. He's playing, you know, consistently. He's not missing games. And, and that, that elevated play is incredible. Uh, and, and again, it's both ends. And so what happens now is it's not just him. Uh, it's elevating this entire team. And everybody's looking at the offense and the numbers, which are spectacular. But look at the defense. I mean, his defense, and, and Nick Nurse said that, uh, you know, he's playing with such force defensively. And that's really impacting his own offense because it's just generated an entire different level of play for him. And that's impacted this entire team. Everybody's kind of following suit. Even Kyle Lowry talked about, you know, his focus. And he said that Kawhi's focus is so locked in. Uh, it's so unbelievable that it's had an enormous impact on everybody else. And you're seeing that, how everybody is, is approaching every game exactly the way he does. And then when you think about Pascal Siakam, you know, I said this last night in the broadcast that, you know, everybody talks about how these are two different teams from the play, from the regular season because of the changes. You know, the Raptors picking up Marcus Gasol and trading Valanciunas and then Philadelphia picking up Jimmy Butler and 
and, uh, and, and Tobias Harris. So everybody's saying it's a different look. Uh, well, guess what? There's another different look, and that's Pascal Siakam. Uh, he is not the same player the Sixers faced four times this year. Uh, his game is elevated to, uh, to a ridiculous point, uh, and, and in every way, too. Uh, you know, during a regular season, he only made two of 13 sh- shots from three against the Sixers. He was three of four last night. He scores 29 points, missing only three shots. That's ridiculous. I mean, as a matter of fact, Kawhi scores 45 and misses seven shots. Uh, those are crazy numbers. Uh, but Pascal Siakam is just such a unique player. Uh, and his defense is influencing the game, too. He's, he's really understanding how to be a better and better defender. And I think, you know, he could be an elite defender in this league. But here's a player that you don't have to run anything for. He just plays off his teammates, plays off the, the speed of the game, plays off the defense, uh, and is able to produce incredible numbers. So, you know, he, he he's a player that uh, is really hard to scout and really hard to plan for and is definitely an X factor because Philly hasn't seen this guy uh, previously. He's, a, he's like a, he's a new and improved and uh, extremely confident Pascal Siakam. Uh, we've been talking to Leo. Leo, uh, it's live radio, and our hour has come to an end. Uh, we really thank you for uh, sharing your passion with us and your basketball insights. Uh, we're getting uh, – Toronto fans are getting really excited about this Raptors team. So, uh, well, A lot to be excited about. This is fun. It really is. Thanks so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Have a fantastic Always day. Always a pleasure, guys. All right. Thank you. Leo Routens, thanks so much. Louie, we've got uh, 20 seconds left. Uh Where's this Raptors team going? What's your what's your prediction? Uh, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't follow the Raptors that much. Uh, from the little that, that I do watch, I think they're more of a team this year instead of uh, a two-man team like they were with DeRozan and Lowry. On that uh, note, I'm going to suggest that you're calling for them to go a long way. We've got to get off the air. To all our listeners, have a fantastic week. Go Raptors, go. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.